The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. I trust you're doing well. Also, for those of you who might be new today, checking us out for the first time, or if you've been a part of our online service for a few weeks now, I just want to extend a warm Paramount Christian Church welcome to you. It's great that you're with us and that you've joined us, and we're looking forward to seeing you in person at one of our upcoming services soon. But again, if you're new, Awesome to have you with us. Well, today we're going to conclude our Together Sermon series that we've been in for the last few weeks. But before I do, I just want to say on behalf of my family, a big thank you to those of you who provided a meal for us. For those of you who don't know, we just said hi to our fourth child, uh, Levi. Our family was already complete, three beautiful daughters. But then six weeks ago yesterday, we welcomed Levi into the world, which is awesome. And so he's already wearing his soccer jersey, Arsenal kit. No, I'm only kidding. But he is an Arsenal fan, I assure you. Um, just Thank you so much for the food that you gave us, over a month's worth of meals, which (laughs) just blew us away. We're humbled by that and full of appreciation. I think, though, I have put on a bit of weight, though. Your food was really rich, and I just couldn't help myself. And also, we've forgotten how to cook because it's been such a long time since the last time we cooked. All good stuff, though, so thanks heaps. Um, We're so blessed, and it's really lovely to be a part of this wonderful community. And really, that's a good segue to think about togetherness, connectedness, as we've been thinking about in this series so far. If you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and grab those as we conclude our sermon series. We're going to look at a short passage, Hebrews chapter 3, just three verses this morning, 12, 13, and 14 of Hebrews chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible there, you don't own one, that's okay. All the references are going to be on the screen for you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, as we continue to think about the importance of doing life together, actually embracing one another in love and transparency and openness. Hebrews chapter 3, here's verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That's the setting. We're going to look at this in just a minute. Verse 13, which is really the verse that I want to unpack in our time together. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ, that is Christ our Savior, our treasure, our King, our Rescuer, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. How about I pray? Father, thank you so much for this passage. Lord, it's challenging, but Lord, as we're going to see, it's full of life, it's full of encouragement. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be encouraged today. Lord, thank you for the series so far, Lord God, as we've been thinking about something that's very precious to you, something that's very dear to your heart, and that is your people loving each other, doing life together, ministry together, holding each other accountable, as we're going to see again today out of our passage, how important that really is. And so, Lord, for the glory of your name and for the church of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would bless us as we think about this passage. Amen. 
Well, about three years ago, I was at home. It was my day off. Kaylee, my eldest, she was at school. She was in kindy. And so I was at home alone with my two daughters, Madison and Annabelle. And so I thought, hey, why don't we take a family trip, a happy trip to Kurong, all right? I like going to Kurong. If you have ever been to my office, you would know that I like Kurong maybe a bit too much. And so I decided to take my girls to Kurong. And so just before I left, I thought, hey, I'm going to be a wise dad and check the baby bag to see how many nappies I've got in the bag. Madison was two, and so I looked in. I thought, hey, I've got two nappies. That should be enough. Madison's now two. She's not a newborn like Levi. He like does a poo every half an hour. And so I thought, fine. So I grabbed the girls, put them in the car, grabbed the baby bag with the two nappies in it, put that in the car, and we set off for our family trip to Kurong. Well, I was there for about five minutes when Madison ran past me, and I caught a whiff of her backside, and I thought, "Uh uh-uh, that's a brownie in the oven for sure. And so I took her to the bathroom. Sure enough, she had done a number two but judging by the consistency I thought to myself oh no I think there's going to be further slippage if you know what I mean right the consistency was a bit slippery the color gave it away and so I thought okay I've got to finish this shop quick smart so I changed Maddie we went back into the store I was in the aisles trying to find the books that I needed when all of a sudden Maddie came to me and she said daddy I said yeah I've done a poo. I'm like, uh-oh. I had two nappies. Now I'm about to use my second nappy. So I, I changed Madison and it was, it was diarrhea. And so I thought, all right, I've really got to finish this shop. Went back, getting the books I needed. A couple of minutes later, Madison came up to me again. And she said, Daddy, I've done another poo. I'm like, uh-oh. Now I'm stuck between a rock and a soft poo. Like, excuse the pun, but I was in dire straits. I was thinking to myself, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, I did the only thing, the only sane, logical thing I could do, and that is, and here's the punchline, I embraced community. I embraced community, right? I found this unsuspecting mum who had a kid a similar age to Maddie, and I started to take her through the story. Yeah, I got in the car, two nappies in the baby bag. I didn't realise, you know, Madison, she's got diarrhea. And she kindly interrupted me, this mum, and said, you need a nappy, don't you? I'm like, I need a nappy. And so she gave me a nappy. I quickly changed Madison's backside. And I thought, right, right, I've seriously got to finish this shop, which is difficult for me. All right, often I spend two hours in Kurong. So, so I was trying to get the books that I needed. And guess what? Nothing happened. I thought, great, things have dried up there, down there for Madison. And so I was a full sense of security, right? And so about 20 minutes later, Madison came up to me again. Daddy, you know, I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, I did the same thing as I did before. I embraced community, but listen, I was too embarrassed to go back to the same mum, that first mum. And so I found this second unsuspecting mum. I took her through the same story. She gave me a nappy. I changed Madison's back aside, and we were out of there quick, smart. Now, of course, you caught the punchline, right? I had to, in that moment, die straight, embrace community. And really, this has been the big point that we've been stressing in this service, that we really need to embrace community, that our God is a triune being. He's a community, and he made us, in his image, to know, love, and embrace one another. 
We, if we try to do it solo, it's always going to be messy. Our Christian lives will be stinky, as we were going to see today in this text, if we try to you know, be independent and not lean on others, not do life with others. Like me and Kurong, it would have been a very messy, stinky car trip home if I wouldn't have embraced community. And our Christianity also will be messy and far more stinky if we don't do the same thing. And so today, as we come to our passage... We're going to notice three things about Christian community. Three things. And my intention here is that we'll all be driven into each other a bit more. That we would really be open and honest and transparent and vulnerable with each other. That we would actually come to the point where we're actually confidently confessing sins to each other. And confidently going to other people to point out some of their blindfolds. Why? Because we love each other. We're really serious about holiness and godliness. And we're really serious about doing life together. And so three things. Here's the first thing. The cure of Christian community. Or you may say the remedy of doing life together. You see, at the beginning of verse 13, our author uses a pivotal, emphatic little word. And that word is, but, he says. But encourage one another daily, right? In other words, you're saying, Christian community, be about it. As we're going to see, this is the present imperative. We're supposed to do this over and over and over again, this thing called encouragement. But the context is really interesting, and we need to get it before us. He says, but, which sets up the context and the contrast. And of course, the context was this. Some of these believers, these followers of Jesus, were being tempted to go back to Judaism. They were tempted to go back to the old way of doing things, right? The obsolete, sacrificial system. And the reason was because it was a lot easier to be a Jew in the first century. It was a lot easier to be a true blue Jew than it was to be a true, sincere follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Christ meant sure persecution. As we read in the book of Hebrews, they were having their property confiscated and some of them were in prison. It was difficult. And so for some of these believers are like, man, I love my comfort and security too much. I'm going to go back to Judaism. It's okay. You know, I'm just going back. But our author stresses over and over again in this letter to go back is to walk away from Christ. And if you walk away from Christ, then you are turning away from the living God. As we read in verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, we need to make this personal, has a sinful, unbelieving heart, that's possible, that turns away from the living God. And so to fall away from Christ is akin to high treason against God. That's what he's saying. Which makes the but of verse 13 all the more big and important and critical because he's saying, hey, 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 this is the main cure against the sin within. And we need to be convinced, as he was absolutely convinced, our author, that the the main preventative to turning away from God is actually what? Turning into each other in Christian community. Meaning that this is the main cure against falling away from Jesus. This is the main remedy against apostatizing. Apostasy is actually coming together, loving each other, holding each other accountable, encouraging one another, as we're going to see in just a moment. And so, of course, the implication here for us is that Christian community should hold a special place in our heart. Because this is not something we merely do, you know, Christian community, small groups, church life. No, it's something that we're to give ourselves to. We're to give ourselves to each other because it's remedial. It's this 
powerful preventative to turning away from the living God. So, the cure of Christian community, which is obviously critical and important. But this takes us to our second thing, and that is the core of Christian community. Because you see, is it merely automatic? You know, we just come together, we gather together as Christians, we do church, we do connect group. Are we actually going to prevent each other from falling away from Jesus? Not necessarily. This is not an automatic thing, all right? We might just be socialising when we come together. Might just be tipping the hat to Christian community. All right, we do our Bible study, we sing a few songs, but are we really getting at the core of Christian community? In other words, what's the essence of Christian community? What constitutes, like, really Christian community? What makes Christian community Christian? And of course, this is why verse 13 is so important, because our author tells us that our times together as believers ought to be shaped and characterized and influenced by the key ingredient, which is what? Verse 13, encouragement. Encourage. He says, but encourage one another daily. Now, what is really important about this, as I mentioned just a moment ago, this is the present imperative in the Greek, which simply means that we're to do this over and over and over and over again, right? So we're to encourage, 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 encourage. And once we've encouraged, 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 we're to encourage, encourage, encourage each other some more. And once we've encouraged each other some more, we're to, well, you get the point, we're to encourage, encourage, encourage. We're not to give up encouraging one another. And when we're actually encouraging one another, like really, truly, consistently, habitually, then we will be this cure against falling away from Jesus Christ. This is what constitutes Christian community, encouragement, which means, of course, we need to unpack what this word encourage means. The English word here, encourage, translates the Greek word parakaleto. Now, everyone at home, say parakaleto, a little Greek lesson this morning, all right? Parakaleto. You kids, you have a go as well. If you're not tearing around the house, if you're sitting there quietly doing some colouring, still listening to me, pretending that you're not listening. But if you are listening, also say parakeleto. Parakeleto. Now this word in the New Testament, parakeleto or encouragement or encourage, is a rich word. It's a nuanced word. Let me illustrate it for you, just so that you understand what's involved in this word here, what, what it conveys. Sometimes I go ice skating with my daughters, and I say sometimes because I'm useless on the ice. I don't glide on the ice. I kind of cut it up, I churn it up. I've got this really strange technique. It kind of works for me. I don't fall over, but it's not pretty, if you know what I mean. And so sometimes when I'm there on the ice with my daughters, I notice that they are in trouble, right? They're, they're, they're slipping, they're, they're almost falling and hurting themselves, and they're in danger of doing themselves some harm. And so what do I do as dad? Well, I paracoleto. That is, I, I glide up. No, I don't glide up. I kind of you know, stumble up alongside them, not perfectly, but effectively come alongside them to offer them assistance so that they don't slip over and hurt themselves. Now, that's the idea of paracoleto. That's the idea of, of encouragement. We're, we're to come alongside each other in church, in, in our connect groups, uh, to, to offer this assistance. It might not be pretty, it might not be perfect, but it's necessary, it, it's, it suffice. And, and we come alongside to offer this so that we don't actually fall over, that we don't harm each other. It's funny, on the ice, you know, it ends up me kind of leaning on my daughter and my daughter leaning on me and we just kind of move around the ice like an A shape, right? It's not pretty, but it's effective. And it's the same. That's what the idea 
idea of parakaloro here, offering each other assistance so that we don't harm ourselves, right? Our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ are not spiritually harmed. Now, in practice, this involves two things, parakaloro, encouraging each other. Two things are implied here. The first is this, protection. Protection, that is, we are to protect each other's faith in Christ from potential harm. Let me give you a little illustration. I was at home a couple of weeks ago, and I was trying to have a quiet time. Who knows, with four kids, that's a little difficult. So I was trying to have this quiet time, and I heard my daughters in the yard, they were having fun. But all of a sudden, I heard one of my daughters say to one of my other daughters, I'm not using their names because my daughter is really still embarrassed about this, and she said, uh, you can use the illustration, but just don't use my name. I said, okay, sweetie, I won't use her name. So one of my daughters says to one of my other daughters, it's almost like a joke, right, but it's not, what are you doing with that knife in your hand? You're going to hurt yourself. Well, of course, that was the end of my quiet time. I'm like, what? What's going on? So I make my way out, and I go into the garden, and this is what I find. I find this daughter with a Victronox knife in one hand. Now, this is not a blunt knife, right? If you have a Victronox knife at home, they are razor sharp. She's got a Victronox knife in one hand, and in the other hand, I didn't know at the time, she had a pot of poster paint. And what she was trying to do with this Victronox knife was that she was trying to break the seal. She was trying to open it, kind of stab it to open it. Oh, clearly she gets her wisdom from me. But I was like, what are you doing? Right? I paracletoed her. That is, I protected her. I said, give me that knife, all right? You're going to hurt yourself. Well, this particular daughter is a runner, which means that when she knows she's in trouble, she starts to run. So she's running around the garden table with this Victorinox knife in her hand. I'm like, she's going to trip. Something bad is going to happen. And so I'm like, stop. You're going to hurt yourself. That's paracletoed. That's a form of encouragement. And so she stopped, took the knife out of her hand, Victorox knife, put it on the table, and then I gave her a daddy tap, hey, a daddy, kind of a daddy tap. And like I said, I didn't know it was paint. She dropped the paint, right? And green paint just all over the floor. I've still got some green paint under my big toenail. Just doesn't wash off. So the point is, this is what paracleto involves. It involves lovingly getting in each other's faces, like with tender broken hearts, seeking to protect one another's faith from potential harm. You know, often our English word encourage, we have the idea that it's just this soft, cute thing, you know, they're their cute teddy bear kind of, you know. Well, that's kind of involved, but it's so much deeper than that. It's so much honest than that. It's you get in each other's faces to point out potential issues. Because, you see, we all have blind spots. I have them. I have them in spades. But I don't know them. That's why they're called blind spots. You have blind spots. You can't see them. But we can. <laughs> You've got blind spots. And so what's required? Well, these blind spots may be detrimental to our faith in Jesus. And so I really need you to come and point them out. And you really need me and others to point them out. Lovingly, of course, with humility. But still, we need to be about this thing called paracleto. This protecting each other from harm, uh, faith from sure harm. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, one of my favorite writers at the moment, he's amazing, one of my friends from history, he says this, he who bids you to take heed to yourself, right, that's what we read in verse 12, see to it brothers, you don't have this sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He says, would not have you settle down into a selfish care for yourself, 
alone, lest you should become like Cain, who even dared to say to the Lord himself, am I my brother's keeper? And of course, the answer to Cain was, yes, you are your brother's keeper. And this is God's answer to each of us. Yes, you are your brother's keeper, your sister's keeper. We're supposed to be doing life together, holding each other accountable, being real, confessing sin to each other. This is real life in the church. And this is what it means to be a Christian community. So, protection, paracletta, that's what encouragement involves. The second part, and I'm going to be brief here, is provision. Right, so protection, we seek to safeguard each other's faith in Christ from potential harm, but also provision, that is we constantly point each other to the rich provision that we have in Jesus. All the things that he has accomplished for us, the benefits that we have in him. Romans chapter 5 verse 17, this is what we read. Those who receive God's what? Abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. Listen, reign in life. If you want to reign in life, if I want to reign in life, then we need to tap into God's abundant provision of grace, which, guess what, we already have. But sometimes we live like we don't actually have this abundance. We live like spiritual paupers at times, but Christ has won for us all these blessings, forgiveness, adoption, this wonderful identity as we're going to see that we have in Him this glorious future and community, doing Christian community and encouragement includes pointing each other constantly to the rich provision that we have in Jesus so that together we can reign in life. Of course, the implication here is that the gospel needs to dwell in us richly as we read in Colossians 3.16. We know John 3.16, but do we know Colossians 3.16, which reads, let the message of Christ dwell among you, or dwell among you, that is in the community, PCC in other words, richly. As you teach, as you help and notice, admonish, that's the first part of paracleto, one another with all wisdom. And so we need this gospel to permeate our Christian lives and hearts so that we're full of this rich provision within. We're experiencing God's abundance within. We're reigning in life. Not That doesn't mean that everything's going easy, you know, but inside we have this joy, even though circumstances may be sorrowful, and so we can come alongside each other with this joy, which is our strength, this joy from the gospel. We're reigning in life to help each other reign in life. This is what it means to encourage one Another. So there's protection and there's provision. Awesome. The core of Christian community. So we've looked at the cure of Christian community and the core of Christian community. And of course the implication is that Christian community ought to have this special place, this sacred place in each of our hearts. Really amazing. Last thing. Here's the big question. The most pressing, urgent urgent question, and that is, what's going to be the fuel inside this whole encouraging enterprise? What's going to keep us meeting together? What's going to motivate us, energize us, stimulate this thing called true Christian community where we're actually encouraging one another? In other words, and here's the final C word, what's the catalyst for community? What's the catalyst for Christian community? You see, we've got to realize as Christians, we're still fallen, we're still broken within. Which means that sometimes we don't give ourselves to the things that God wants us to give ourselves to. You know? we, don't, we don't give ourselves to Christian community. 
You know, one writer, Timothy Keller, you know him, someone sent me this quote, I wasn't going to use it, but it's very pertinent, it's gold, and I thought I'd include it. This is what Tim Keller says. He says, everyone says they want community and deep friendship. That's what we've been talking about this past month. Community, deep friendship, community, deep friendship. However, he says, because it takes two things, accountability and commitment, listen, we run the other way. We run the other way. And of course, this means that we can like the idea of community, just like exercise or healthy eating. Yeah, I like the idea of exercise, healthy eating, but we never actually do those things. The same applies to community. We can enjoy hearing sermons on community. I can enjoy preaching sermons on community, but that doesn't mean that we actually do community. See, this is the irony and the tragedy. We can come together, literally, like geographically, but still in our hearts, as Keller says, be running away from each other. In our hearts, we haven't really been knit together in love. We cannot really be open. We can just tip the hat to Christian community, and we don't really do this thing called encouragement, paracleto, all that we've looked at in this message. So the big question is, all right, what is the catalyst for Christian community? And of course, the answer is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans 1 verse 16, which reads as follows. The gospel is the power, right? Just stop there. The gospel, so everything that we've looked at already in this message, this rich provision that we have in Jesus, the grace of God, this gift of righteousness that will help us reign in life as we receive, receive, receive. That's the gospel. All the benefits and the blessings that we have in Jesus and all that he is for us. That's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God, of God, so this supernatural power for salvation we read in this verse for salvation which doesn't just mean initial salvation it means everything in salvation including Christian community because the gospel not only created the church it did but also it sustains the church the gospel empowers the church the gospel is the catalyst for true Christian community now I know some of you are thinking all right but What does that imply? Like, how does that actually work in practice? Well, let me put it together for you. The gospel subverts and overthrows the two enemies of Christian community. And what are the two enemies? The the two monsters within. Pride and fear. Pride and fear. For example, if I'm full of pride, right? If I'm a Pharisee and you come to me, you've, you've plucked up the courage to confess your sin to me, to be accountable and transparent. You, you come to me and you, you start detailing your sin. If I'm a Pharisee, if I'm full of pride, will you be loved and received and welcomed? No, you're going to be judged. You're going to be rejected. And so the whole accountable experience is not going to be a good one for you. In fact, it's probably going to ruin all future accountability. You're going to think, I tried it once, but I was judged, I was rejected. Similarly, if you come to me and you've plucked up the courage to point out one of my blind spots, right, I've got heaps, and you kind of think, all right, I've got to point out that one, and again, I'm full of pride, I'm a Pharisee, I'm going to become like a puffer fish, right? I'm going to put out my spikes, all right? I'm not going to receive you, I'm not going to be humble. No, why? Because my identity Identity and my sense of worth and significance is based on my moral religious performance. And of course, if you come and point out a flaw in my life, then you're attacking the core of who I am. And so I'm going to reject you again, and Christian community is ruined once more. 
Similarly, fear ruins Christian community. If I'm full of fear, I'm not going to go to you to point out one of your flaws. Why? Because I really need your approval and validation. Similarly, if I'm full of fear, I'm not going to confess my sin to you because of the whole shame-honour thing. I want you to think much of me. I want you to receive me and accept me, right? And so pride and fear ruin Christian community and all relationships. This is why the gospel is so powerful, because the gospel gives us a unique identity which overthrows these two tyrants within and in their place causes the flowers of, I like to call them the flowers of humility and bravery to flourish and bloom. Let me explain. I'm going to turn right to the end of Hebrews and I'm going to put these pieces together. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12. This is the unique gospel power that we are thinking about right here. Listen to what we read here. And so Jesus also suffered, right? Jesus suffered, that is on the cross, for your sin, my sin, your idolatry, my idolatry, your God-belittling sin and mine. He suffered outside the city. Notice that, outside the city. In other words, we're being told that Jesus died outside of God's family, outside of God's community. We've been thinking about community, we've been thinking about family, this sermon, and in this series, Togetherness, well, Jesus suffered outside the city. Remember, the temple was in Jerusalem. The temple was considered to be the house of God and the city of Jerusalem was considered to be the the place of the king, the city of the king. Jesus died outside and on the cross when he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could have said, my God, my God, why have you thrust me out of your family? Why have you cast me out of your presence, out of your community? And of course, Jesus knew why he was suffering to make people, the people, that's us, holy through his blood. In other words, to win family for us, to win this acceptance with God for us, to actually bring us into the household and the community of God. As Peter says, the righteous died for the unrighteous. Jesus the righteous died for you, me, the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God. And so now we are in the family of God through Jesus Christ, this one who suffered as our champion, as our hero, as our saviour for us. He was judged so that we could be forgiven. He was cast out of God's family so that we could come in. He was pushed out of God's community so that we could enjoy being in God's community for all eternity. Now, listen, that's the gospel. When this gospel penny drops in our heart, when it... When we have this realization, the powerful experience over and over again of this, that we are so bad that Jesus had to suffer this way, be pushed out of community, and simultaneously we're so loved that Jesus willingly went through this for us to bring us into community, that brings about this unique Christian identity that is full of humility and bravery. Humility, that is we are humble to the dust. I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so wretched, defiled and wicked that Jesus had to go through this for me because of my evil, because of my sin and yet I'm affirmed beyond the stars because now I'm in Christ's family. I'm a part of God's family and I have his approval, his acceptance. Remember we saw in Romans 5.17 the gift of righteousness, Christ's righteous medals are pinned to our chest and we've got the validation and the approval and the acceptance of the king which brings what 
stability, which brings certainty, which brings courage. Which means, of course, now we can be honest with each other. Because we're not fearing people's rejection. Because we've been accepted by King Jesus, by, by God. We, we, we are given this humility because we realise, there go I. But by the grace of God, you realise, oh, I'm still a sinner. And that's why Christ had to die for me. You see, the reformers called this simul justice et peccator. We looked at Greek earlier, now a bit of Latin. Simul justice et peccator. Which means, at the same time, in Christ we are righteous, like perfectly accepted in Him, and yet in ourselves, still, even as Christians, flawed. This is the gospel. When we believe it, there is humility. There's no arrogance or pride because it's very hard to be full of pride in the presence of a bleeding, suffering saviour. But equally, it's hard to be full of fear in the presence of an all-conquering Lord who's brought us into the family of God. And so simultaneously, we are righteous in the eyes of God and flawed within. And this is the unique gospel identity that actually is the catalyst for Christian community. Because now we can be brave enough to confess sins with each other and also humble enough to receive people's correction. We're also brave enough to go and point out flaws in each other. And if the person is humbled in Christ, then they're going to be more receptive. Can you, can you see how it works? If we're a bunch of Pharisees, Christian community is never, ever going to happen. Never going to happen. The answer is the Holy Spirit in the power of the the gospel. The gospel, the Holy Spirit moving through the gospel as we absorb it into our hearts over and over and over and over again. And so really the implication and the final point of application is, come on, let's baptize our hearts afresh in the waters of the gospel. Best place to start, I would suggest Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Just read it through slowly again. Yeah, I've read Ephesians 1 5,000 times. Uh, Great, but we've got to read it again and pray through it slowly, carefully in the presence of our God, asking him, oh God, I want to know you better. Oh God, I want to know who I am in Christ better so that we as a community may be enriched by the gospel so that we can live out this new identity and which in turn will encourage us to be honest, to do this whole thing of paracaleto, which in turn will be a major preventative to turning away from our God. Amen. Can you see how it works? The catalyst for Christian community empowers us to live out the core of Christian community, which is encouragement, which in turn will make us this cure This remedy against falling away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we are together, we will go the distance. That's the promise of Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 and Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. That we're to encourage each other daily and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this series on togetherness. Lord, this is something that is so special to you. Lord, you hold this in your heart as something that's wonderful and sacred. Lord, since you are a community, I pray 
Lord, that we would experience and enjoy true gospel community, doing life together, Lord God. And as you say, Lord Jesus, in your word, when we live this way, this authentic, open, transparent, real community, that has such a gravitational effect. People are drawn to communities like this. And so, Lord God, we realize that we want others to come to faith in Jesus. And so I pray, Lord God, that as we do life together, shaped by the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we would see more and more people come to faith in you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.